is Audiobook Month. Join Viviana, the Enchantress of Books, and the Audiobook Lovin' series as she celebrates the authors and narrators who bring your favorite stories to life. Not only will this month be packed with exciting guest podcasts full of all things books, but stick around after each episode for some special information about this year's giveaway and more. everyone. Welcome to season nine, episode three of the audiobook loving series. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with narrator Anna Clements. Thank you for being here and hanging out with me today. Thank you very much for spending time with me. It's great. Yes, you just keep talking. No, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we'll get to it later, but we're suckers for accents and I am not different from that. But (laughs) and you sound so divine in my earbuds. Oh my God. Anyways, Why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you got started. So I'm Spanish by birth. My my birth name is Ana Maria Campa Gonzalez and I got married in England. I live in England now and uh, my name is Ana Clements, which is what I narrate under. I've been narrating for about eight years, probably six years full time. And before that, two years of studying and trying to work out what on earth sound was and how acoustics work. And five years before that, classical singing training and musical theatre performance. So it's been kind of a weird run into the industry for me. As a 19-year-old, I told my parents I wanted to be a singer, to be famous, but because I wanted to use my voice, I wanted to go into a studio every day and be the backing singer, you know, like a session singer who was just happened to be there and they call on you to do something. I had this romantic notion. And my mother said, oh, you have to be really good to do that, which I took to mean that it Mm -hmm. wasn't for me. And I went off to university and studied economics and got into finance and worked in an office for 20 years and went, hang on a second, this wasn't how it was supposed to turn out for me. So yeah, started studying music, started performing on stage and absolutely loved it, but lived out in the countryside. So it was kind of an awkward choice between, you know, do I up sticks and take myself off to the city and, and you know, try the, uh, which didn't feel like the right choice. So I bought a microphone and started messing around at home. And next thing I knew, I'd discovered ACX and voice acting. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. It's It's been sort of a, it's a permanently growing journey, isn't it? Everybody you speak to has a very different in and, but is also a uh, still shifting and changing, whether that's through genres or within the industry or learning as as you grow as a person. So it's, 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 I'm thrilled with my choice of career now, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't Mm -hmm. so much before. (laughs) I know it's, it's interesting how when we're kids, we're told to be adults and this is the responsible job that will get you money and a way to be able to live. And now we live thankfully in a world where creatives are, you know, entrepreneurs Mm. now. And it's like, like, oh, you can do your own business Mm. and you can have an Etsy shop and you can do books and you can use your voice and earn the money that you need to survive and live and not eat noodles for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yes, thank goodness. I mean, we can get creative with those ramen noodles, but still, no, thank you. <laughs> so you say that you're of Spanish descent. Do you narrate in Spanish uh, Spanish books as well, or do you don't? I do. No, no, I do. Yes, I um So a lot of my early work was actually medical work for universities in Spanish. So sometimes I would get translation. I translate more from Spanish into English than the other way around. And I also do translations of books I've narrated in English, where the author decides to go and translate their book, perhaps into Spanish and French or Spanish and German. I do a lot of lesbian fiction and they're big in Germany. And so that, that tends to be a big translation service. I don't do German, but when they do translate it into Spanish, I've done a couple of the books in both English and Spanish, which has been really fun, actually. 
me. Yeah. Do you get sometimes stuck being bilingual in when you're speaking in English and all of a sudden that word pops up and it's in Spanish though? And you're like, mm. yeah, yeah. When I'm at home, it's cool because we all know what we're, both, you know, both languages and you can start a sentence in one language, translate into another and come back. Yeah. Um, and there are certain phrases, aren't there? And particularly when you have friends who speak the same languages as you do or family members where you've experienced certain things in one language and you're talking about them in the other. And yes. then you have to tell the story with the words that are, that belong to it, you know, it's, yeah. it's, that's true. <laughs> so frustrating too sometimes because especially when I'm in speaking in, in with non-native Spanish speakers and all of a sudden it's in, and then the word just comes in Spanish and I'm like, I need a minute yes. and trying to figure it out or the other way around when I was Although, talking to family. I'm like, mm. yeah, I love there are certain words that just don't have a translation. Yes. Uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about añoranza and I said it's it's a longing for a thing that and I and I find that in English then I start using all these words I've never used before or tried trying to explain this sense of this and they're they're often because in Spanish there are words that are more of a feeling yes. than a description and so you need lots of words in English to say them um, and yeah it's it's funny how that happens and sometimes not as often but sometimes it happens the other way around too mostly through lack of vocabulary on my part so sometimes when I give so a couple of years ago I spoke at a conference in Spanish audiobooks and because I learnt the audiobook industry in English a lot of my technical vocabulary is English. And so it's taken me a while to find out how everybody says that in Spanish, which has been a really interesting journey too. Oh yeah, the, the technical stuff, it's not, yeah. yeah. People are like, oh, you speak, <laughs> I go, yes, I speak Spanish, but we were very Americanized, where it was like yeah. Spanish in the house and English outside the house. So there's a lot of stuff that's different. You, the way you talk to your family yeah. and friends is not how you speak in corporate world. And it's always funny when they're like, oh, can you translate? I'm like, very badly, but okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, my husband who has a master's in Spanish and is a Spanish teacher, I will give him the document. I'm like, can you please read yes. this for me? Because I will spend an hour on a paragraph because I'm the yeah. girl that goes, los pollitos dicen, pio, pio. And by the third pio, I know what that is, so I'll go faster. But other than that, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, it's, it is interesting, too, because a lot of times when we are in book world and it's in English and the character is, you know, of Spanish descent, there is what people tend to think is the usual Spanish accent. And it's mm -hmm. like it's not like that all the time. And like when you spoke it, uh, even when it came down to your name, there was a little bit of that theta, you know, kind of a thing. Yes, yeah. And some yeah. some countries don't have it. Others do. Yeah. And, you know, the Argentinian has a little bit so of my tongue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Argentina is a world of its own, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, um, my father is is from Madrid and my mother's from uh, Gran Canaria. And so he has the oh, he passed away a couple of years ago, but he had the the very strong feta that you that you mentioned. Uh, and my mother doesn't. So the 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 S sound, the Gran Canaria sound is is very similar to sort of Venezuela, uh, Santo Domingo, you know, that sort of easygoing Spanish, I always call it. Yes. And so I, I put it on or take it off depending on who I'm doing the work for. So some of my authors will release their books within the European market, uh, you know, on Storytel and Kobo and, and you know, all those things. But if it's a, an American, so I did, I recently did a diabetes book for a university in North Virginia for their for their clients so not through audible but just through their website so that their patients could read the information about their diabetes in english and spanish and so that was in a what, what you guys called a, a south american accent a latin american mm -hmm. accent so without the th sounds so it's it's a, again really interesting and and watching the 
industry grow, this Spanish market is really developing differently, I feel, to the way the English market did sort of 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And it's picked up so much speed because of how far the English market has come. But it wants different things. I feel like it's it has really different requirements. So it's been really interesting to watch. I know my grandmother loved audio dramas and a lot of the Spanish, particularly the European Spanish, are desperate for soundscape, you know, background noises and sounds and music. And then they get a single narrator and they go, what's this? What, what, am, why, what, what, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, where's the rest of them? Where'd it go? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's all part of the storytelling, you know, yeah. it's for them, it's, it's kind of that feel. So it's been interesting to see how that's yeah. developing yeah. Uh, and still ongoing, isn't it? So, it it yeah, very much is. And, and then in here in the States too, as individuals that are bilingual, when we see the representation not be very accurate or be more of that mm. stereotypical, you know, yeah. Latin yeah. and they're like uh, automatically, you know, Mexican, like there is different yes. backgrounds and cultures and accents and yes. You know, yeah. or certain words are said. My favorite is always getting in trouble with the different words because they mean different things in different countries and different yeah. even within yeah. the same country, depending on where it is. Um, yes. And so that's one of those things where authors are now starting to do more of that basic, very non-spiced, you know, the non-flavorful Spanish. <laughs> yes. And we're known for yes. the flavor. We're like, <laughs> yeah, you know, but, you know, don't no sea un bicho can mean so many different things. Um, yeah. You know, depending you where you where you're from. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. I am. I seem to be getting a lot of work recently in the last year or so mm -hmm. in English with a Spanish accent. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my fictional work, I, I do a lot of European accents. So I don't, I try not to do American accents if I can help it, just because there are so many of you doing it much better than I am. And so my my CV says, you know, my resume says um, I do most European accents, but I'm I've done just recently done in the last I, I don't know probably in the last two months uh, three books of English with a Spanish accent, and it's it's basically how my parents how my cousins all speak, but European Spanish yeah. as you say it's it's more of a the both the author well one was a translation but the other was a, a Spanish author who mm -hmm. had written her memoir yeah and uh, she's a journalist from Madrid so it was my dad's voice you know it was my dad's um, version of English that I used to uh, and it's really lovely to be able to sort of grab people from your own family and your own heritage and just put them put them on the page so to speak uh, well, yeah. quite the opposite put them into audio but it was a really lovely experience actually and it's it's been really joyful to be able to because although I speak like this I don't feel like this is me this British RP voice was kind of beaten into me by the nuns at the convent you know Ooh. and it it's it doesn't feel like it represents who I am and mm -hmm. who I feel I am. So the moment I get to do English with a Spanish accent or the Spanish books, I a whole other side of me comes out, you know, a whole different personality almost, um, which I really love. I love being able to play with that and use that. Yeah, it, it, it's very interesting depending on where you grew up when it comes down to being of different uh, origins and descents and even language, how we identify. And yeah. sometimes I feel like I, I'm missing out on some of that Spanish culture because we were so Americanized because my parents were immigrants, They're, you know, coming from Cuba and Chile to the States, and, you know, in the you know, 70s and 60s and in, in 80s when I was born, it's like, you need to learn the language here. But also if I were to move to France, the expectation if I'm going to live there, I should start learning French. <laughs> so it's just one of those yeah. things. Yeah. But culturally, I mean, with the exception of the food and uh, the love of family, I think I'm good there. I mean, like you want to talk about Cuban food or Chilean, Argentinian food. I am your girl. Artist and literature, not so much. But yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. interesting that sometimes we felt like we're growing up, we had to acclimate and, you know, into what society deemed normal at the time. And, yes. You know, what was required of us rather yeah. than who we wanted to yeah, be. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
So do you at home get to speak more Spanish and do more Spanish? Like, are you like when you're cleaning the house, are you blasting some Spanish music as traditional? <laughs> it is in our thing to do. <laughs> I'm a big music lover, actually. I do always have music on. So it isn't always Spanish mm -hmm. music. It's, it's more of a, it's usually an eclectic mix of whatever I happen to be super passionate mm -hmm. about at the moment, you know, in the moment. And I'm, and I shift from really random things uh, from one to, and then I become obsessive about things, you know, and listen to the same album over and over and tell everybody. I know about whatever it is mm -hmm. and then two weeks later I'm bored with that and I've moved on to something else you know um, so yeah no, music is a big deal but not not always Spanish okay. music there's a lot of my my I have two daughters in their 20s and they're very into you know popular music particularly here in England and uh, they're always sending me I'm I'm very big on song lyrics mm -hmm. I love singer songwriters yes. that write about actual things um, and you read a line and it's almost like poetry, you know, and you're like, oh, I love this song. Wait, here it comes. Here it comes. Mm -hmm. You know. That <laughs> yeah. That when that so, riff yeah. of that word, oh, that verse is going to come up. Yes. And you're kind of going yes. for it. Yeah. Yes. I totally hear it. Yeah. So when you say eclectic listening, as far as music stuff, what, what is on your playlist that's so vastly, you know, differently? Well, I'm, I'm going to a Harry Styles concert mm -hmm. next month, which I never thought I would say at my age, but I'm super excited about mm -hmm. that. For those who don't know, Harry Styles was in One Direction, big deal in England. And I've just come from uh, a Scouting for Girls concert, which is a band from the 90s, 2000s, uh, which is when my kids were growing up. And it was, again, one I obsessed about and we listened to all the time. So both quite quite pop, you know, popular music rather than not. But, uh, do you know, I don't have a favorite, you know, I could, I could go from Camilo Sesto to to listening to Carmen the opera you know it, it's a it's a real kind of my my mood dictates my requirement yeah. and I and I and I'm a huge Spotify fan mm -hmm. so I, I have a Spotify <laughs> account and I it, what I love is that they do that thing where you can almost say you know I feel like a rainy day and suddenly you've got a rainy day playlist and you're like oh I love this song I'd forgotten this even existed you know yeah. and so I'm, I'm really into it's almost like the rabbit holes of YouTube and Google mm -hmm. you know you go looking for things you didn't even remember you absolutely loved wow. so yes I'm, I'm big on harmonies I love two or more part harmonies so any any songs with any kind of feeling that you could be that second voice mm -hmm. I'm always singing the second part mm -hmm. you know of, of any song I'm listening to I mean I'm a huge Adele fan mm -hmm. I obviously you've asked me and now I can think of no singers whatsoever oh, so. of course that's how it works it's exactly how our brains work Absolutely. you're like I have no clue but there's music <laughs> yes. yes I love Adele yeah, yeah. my uh, my stuff includes things from like Celtic and then I have things from like the Beatles in the 60s and the 70s and then I have you know Viking Norwich music and then I have you yeah. know Philly yeah you see you know? I'm I'm a huge fan of Gregorian yes. chants every so often I'll get a real rush mm -hmm. for like a need for that mm -hmm. you know and just sort of a almost like a, a meditative state about it it's yeah that's it is it's just anything and everything yeah. as bizarre as that yeah. sounds no nothing like getting into a the bath like a, do a bubble bath and i'm like people are like oh what are you listening to and they're thinking like spa music and i'm like well today was nirvana's new york live city <laughs> and yeah, and they're like okay and then go but last week it was like gregorian and enya <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, Enya. Yes, don't start yeah, me. It's <laughs> <laughs> all those fun things. With with you narrating now in, in the different languages and even, I mean, from Saunders too, because you do romance, you do fiction, you do medicals and all these other things. Do you find that prepping for a book varies for you based on the genre? Yes, very much. I'm a big prepper. I think I spend 
I probably spend more than average. I don't know what the average is, but I reckon I spend more than average prepping, mostly because my once I start recording, mm -hmm. I don't want to be thinking about what I'm doing. And so the prep for me is where it's at. So I will spend at least a day, if not two days between books, prepping the next book. And something else I find really hard to do is prepping a book while I'm recording a book. I have friends who narrate during the day and then prep the next book in the evening mm. in anticipation of the following week and i and i really i'm a real i need to commit to the single project in the moment which actually just means i have to spread my projects out further mm -hmm. and allow for a little more space and time but that's what works for me you know so i uh, i really enjoy it mm -hmm. But yeah, I prep. The nonfiction is really different because I'm looking for unusual words, you know, names of cities, people's last names where I might guess something and actually it's something else. You know, those sorts of words that you need to make sure you're saying right before you start. And I get a lot of books about the rule of law or, you know, two and a half thousand years of European politics or those kinds of books that are full of information, but they actually begin back in, you know, with the Romans or the Greeks. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there's a lot of Latin, there's a lot of words that aren't necessarily in common usage, but the people who are listening to that book, they know how you say oh, that. Yeah. And I need to know how you say that. So that that's really important to me. Getting that right is really important to me. And then in fiction, almost the opposite. I'm all about the characters. Fiction doesn't tend to have as many complicated place names or words that I might not have come across, although it still does. But I'm more interested there in the nuances and the backstories of the characters. You know, I, I really enjoy losing myself in, you know, how does she really feel about this? You know, she said that word, but what does she really mean? And the good authors will give you all that information, won't they? They give you kind of all the, the in-depth, behind-the-scenes stuff, mostly without you noticing when you're actually reading the book. But when you're prepping the book, that's what you're looking for. And what it's done, unfortunately, is that I now read books really differently. Mm -hmm. I forget that I'm not prepping sometimes when I'm reading a book for pleasure. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I go on holiday and I'll take a book with me, I find myself prepping it or flipping back to find out how, you know, when, when he said this about the girl the last time, didn't he say two weeks earlier? And I'm like, no, you don't have to narrate this book. You're just reading. Just enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but there are readers that so, do yeah, that, you know, because I, I oh, devour sure. the yes, book. I yes. may not remember that he had blue eyes or that, you know, certain yeah. things were said. And I'm going, wait, what was that? And then other readers and listeners are like in live person equivalent of the book Bible for that book. And I'm like, how do you recall yes. all this stuff? I'm, I recall the emotion and the feelings and they're recalling the details. And I'm like, yeah, if yeah. we work together, we'd be good. Yeah. But otherwise, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's very different, the, the nonfiction with the fiction and the accent and prepping. And even when it comes down to deciding how these characters are going to sound can be very, you know, like, mm figuring all that stuff out. How do you go about when it comes down to, you know, fiction books, how these characters are going to sound? I, I don't get to decide. The author has already written the book. So the information is all in there. There's not, it's not a decision mm -hmm. for me to make with regards to, you know, the, the places these people are mm -hmm. from are usually dictated. So if they have a particular accent or they speak in a particular manner, it's in the book already. So I have to follow the rules. I have to I have to portray what's given on the page. You know, nobody wants me giving the mother-in-law a Scottish accent only to find out that she's from, mm -hmm. you know, Southern California at the end. You know, I, you can't right. do that. It's not how it works. So all the information is is handed to me on a plate. And if it isn't, I am 
more recently, I, I used to play a little and I would, uh, so I, I work with um, a lot of the big publishers. So, mm -hmm. you know, Hachette and Blackstone and, and Penguin Random House and Harper and in America mostly. And there I don't get any choices. You know, there you are reading what's on the page as the book is written, as the author dictated, and that's that. I also work with indie authors, uh, mostly through lesbian fiction. And one in particular that I'm thinking of, I met when she'd just written her first book, and that was six or seven years ago. And it was one of my first books. And and we met at a conference and we just became very good friends and she's lovely and i narrated her book for her and there was a sense in in the book where she had made no choices she hadn't told us where this man was from or uh, given us any background he had no family he was more of a loner and so we had several zoom sessions where she was still kind of feeling through the the information that i needed to be able to narrate him to be able to perform him and then when she wrote the sequel three years later he was the guy i'd narrated mm. in the first book which was really lovely because that doesn't always happen sometimes authors will re write a second or a third book where you've picked a, a particular person in the book and you've given them no particular accent because it said they had no particular one and suddenly the author makes more of that person and then reminds you that he was born and brought up in scotland or you know whatever it is and you go you yeah. can't be doing this that's <laughs> always funny when you have a secondary so, character that pops into the diner just for that meal and you you're trying to figure out how they're going to sound because they're just in, you know, at the moment, just, you know, I hate the term throwaway character, but they're just popping in and popping out. And then all of a sudden you're, you're giving them either that, if it's a guy that really deep, you know, husky kind of a voice or, oh my God, everything's just lovely kind of thing, you know, and then they're the hero or the heroine in the fourth book. And you're yeah. going, I cannot maintain that. Yes. And it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very much so. It's something I, so every so often I go to, particularly through the lesbian fiction, I go to writers' conferences here in the mm -hmm. UK and I give a talk, you know, just a half hour talk on producing your audiobook and questions they might want to ask and things they might want to think about when they, as an author, when they come forward with their book and they're looking to find the perfect narrator. How do they, how do you choose? How do you decide? And some of them will say that they'll give you the, the first two pages of their book. And so we have whole conversations about the importance of knowing as an author, who was important to you in the book? And when you get it back and they've given a really high-pitched voice to the granny who was modeled after your own grandmother, mm -hmm. how upset are you going to be? You know, and if that matters to you, then you need to be saying so. And so having authors suddenly put on their producer hat, I guess, as, as an audiobook requirer, it has made some of the people I've got to know really well as authors, has made them think really differently when they write. And they're suddenly very aware that as a reader, you might skip over the information and you, and as a reader, mm -hmm. you fill in things by yourself, don't you? You make up things if they're not in there. Well, as a narrator, you can't do that. You can't be just deciding because you feel like it. You either have to speak to the author and, and come to an agreement or you have to not make a choice. And that in itself is a choice, you know, and it will usually be the accent that you're narrating the book in. So a lot of my characters just are RP English you know, nothing in particular, as you say, if they're characters that have just come in and gone out again. But usually, particularly with the kind of historical fiction I do, there's some kind of mm -hmm. social hierarchy. So if a, a young woman brings a bottle of wine to the table in the tavern, she isn't going to be particularly well spoken. 
otherwise mm -hmm. she wouldn't be working at the tavern. So there is this this kind of you get a feel, particularly with genres, you get a feel for what what the author was expecting when they wrote that piece, even yeah. though they didn't say so. So there's yeah, there's a lot of reading between the lines, isn't it there, is. as a narrator and, and as a performer, and then even as a reader, sometimes the author does a really good job of giving you some of this information, and other times they leave it up to interpretation of the readers, and that's where people sometimes think and mm. say we read two totally different books, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Whether it's, uh, you know, I didn't pick up on that and you did, or you thought you liked it. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, or yes. yes, or the things you that know. stood out for you. You know, it's it's really interesting. You, I'll, I'll discuss a book with somebody else and I'll go, I just love the way she described that. She mm -hmm. goes, describe what? Like, you know, as if, like you say, you've, you've picked out certain bits of it that mm -hmm. have just really touched you. And actually, they didn't necessarily yeah. do anything or for anybody else. The, the, the character was being hilarious. And you're like, yeah, it was funny, but not that funny. Or, you know, or, or you think that's spicy? <laughs> Girl. <laughs> You know, it's like, whoa, that's what that, that was for a Tuesday. Okay, then. <laughs> And I mean, there's all these different things. I mean, that's why I love books because you can pick up a book about, you know, the, you know, the nonfiction stuff, improvements, or if you want to learn more about something or even, you know, cookbook, because you want to decide that you want to do Spanish Mediterranean meals for the next month and a half on Tuesdays or whatever versus taco nights. And, and then you can go to the, to yeah. the, not to the fiction side of things and explore worlds and go to the past and go to the future and maybe go, mm, I think I'm going to stick to where I'm at. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Like alien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, um, yes. sorry, I'm a big fan of steampunk. Uh, it's really sort of caught my imagination. It's sort of got that uh -huh. historical fiction becomes fantasy and it allows for kind of any world you want to be created. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that at the moment uh, as a reader as well as, so as a, a narrator. Spot, so, what yeah. is one in that genre that you recommend for someone that maybe wants to cut it? Like, I love the aspect and the aesthetics of it. I just have yet to actually pick one up. <laughs> so coincidentally, <laughs> I had I had two come out in March and they were a, a series about and what I love is that, that I've only done four or five in, in my career. So a couple I did uh, back in 20, maybe 2018, 19, I'm not sure. But the recent steampunk detective books I did were about a young woman who was a seamstress and sort of getting up to hijinks within within the time frame. But what I loved is the the use of magic, the use of all the extras that are suddenly within society that obviously aren't really in inverted commas. And it's just a, a lovely mix of the realities of Victorian England. But if if things mm. had gone really differently, and so it's it yeah, it's a really nice. And um, the the previous ones I called the alchemists is about a group of magicians who will do anything to protect their society and obviously things go awry and i think there's actually four or five in that series but i've only done the first two books and in in audio and and that one's great too what i love about the steampunk uh, authors is that they they will pick a you know a norwegian driver who's driving the taxi with the new zealand detective and the south african policeman in the back and i'm like what is it with all these accents you know, they seem to they seem to love bringing people from angola to london overnight you know and it's just kind of yeah it's it's a fantastical world and i absolutely love it so those books that you recently married the, the book one is the Curse of the Brimstone Contracts, and that's by Karina Lawson, and that's the steampunk detective series. And the second book is Hanging at Lotus Hall. So those two, I just literally added to my wish list. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the accent work that you were just bringing up, it's so interesting because we as listeners, as I mentioned at the very beginning, like I could listen to just talk forever. We're suckers for accents. And a lot of times when someone has an accent, 
and people go goo goo gaga over them because of it. We're like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about or why are you going? So it's my normal kind of a thing. But do you have a favorite accent to perform? Uh, yeah, it, it's English yeah. with a Spanish accent. Um, for some reason, it feels the most comfortable. It's the most, mm -hmm. it's the one I least think about. And the one that feels like I connect better with the with the text. You know, sometimes when I, so I, I do a lot of accent work, so coaching with a, with a coach, Nick Redman, who's amazing. And she has led me over the last, you know, five or six years through many, a, many an accent, you know. Nick, I'm starting a book mm -hmm. tomorrow and apparently I have to be South African. Uh, and she's <laughs> like, did you not know this sooner? You know, <laughs> and she she's wonderful at breaking down the accent. And there are lots of different things you can, you know, she isn't the only person. There are lots of different places you can go to learn accents and to, to work on them. And I think it's really worthwhile doing. I think it's a really, personally, it's a really enjoyable part of my job. And what I find that when I start accents, and the reason I don't narrate, for example, in many accents, is because to do a character voice where the character is saying, you know, I'm going to go down to the stables and I'll bring your horse back. And you have to say those, have many of those were, eight or ten words, with a Scottish accent, with a South African accent, with a whatever accent, you can take that sentence apart and you can put it back together again and you can make sure that it sounds like a person from South Africa would say it. To do that with mm -hmm. the narration of an entire book is a whole nother story. And that's not something I offer other than in English with a Spanish accent, because it feels natural. It feels like I'm at home. I don't fall out of it. I don't uh, slip into anything else. There is no, it is so ingrained in me that it's part of me. And so I think there are some accents that I fall into more easily, some accents that I can say lots more words in. And the work I've done with Nick has allowed me to go, the reason I have trouble saying the word burglar in a Scottish accent mm -hmm. is because it's really hard to say in a Scottish accent. You know, it's not me, it's not. And so sometimes it's about learning to be gentler with yourself and giving yourself a little more grace. But learning an accent goes through, for me, these really particular stages of, Mm -hmm. imitation uh, like mimicking and sometimes being almost a little rude about it because you sound so stereotypical that if anybody actually heard yeah. you doing the accent they'd be really offended but you almost have to break through that barrier into the i could now tell you my life story in this accent and continue to talk in it regardless and that's the point at which you go oh okay i can start selling this as an accent that i can take on if you want me to be a particular character in a book and that i've really enjoyed that process of sort of adding you know those those voices to yeah, my it's, list it's funny it's that you, really all, you mentioned the the stereotypical you know thought of what that accent looks like and kind of going through it first because for an example the irish lucky charms uh, you know, accents that we are here in the States when it comes yes. on to these kind of, you know, commercials and things like that. It's it's almost like you kind of have to go there and then dial it down, right? If that, mm. Yeah. And the issue, of course, with that is that you can be happy, go lucky, you know, you know, leprechaun, but actually the people in the book are still going to be angry or sad mm -hmm. or happy or enthusiastic, even within their own personality. Mm -hmm. And so if you can only do a particular line or which is what I find with a lot of people who yes. think or, or say they can do accents is that they can say a particular line or they can be in a particular way so long as that person's dog doesn't yeah. die because if they if they have to be sad they can't do sad in that voice and that's that for me has been the the measure of when an accent feels right for me to be able to kind of introduce it as a as an offering 
because the the characters go through all sorts in the books, don't mm-hmm. they? They go through. They don't maintain one level of interest or excitement. They they go through everything. Yeah. Hopefully, if the, if it's a good yeah, book, yeah, that also will be a very god awful performance. If uh, if they all sound happy and it's a sad scene and they can't, yeah, it's yes. like no, yes. no. I'm like, why are you so happy talking about medical procedures? Come on. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for dedication and yes. being excited about the work, but that's not it. That's not <laughs> it. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But it's true. I think the, the emotions, how we sound is varies based on what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And and when it comes down to the accent and being able to maintain it, I know that when I'm speaking in Spanish, if I'm getting upset, the Argentinian accent comes out. Yeah. Wow. And it's and, and that's so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Or sometimes even when I'm excited, the the faster speaking Spanish comes out and that's yeah. thanks to the Cuban side, yeah. but also with a Chilean Argentinian yeah. accent. So you can kind of tell like, okay, either she's really, really happy <laughs> yes. or, oh, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Busted out with Balurdo and the Argentinian accent. Run. <laughs> Yeah, and it's true. I mean, different languages and dialects and, and accent work can make or break it too. Because from if someone is from yeah. that area, they will tell you in that review that is not how we pronounce yes. Kissimmee or, you know, a, a lake in the middle of God no nowhere. Someone will bust out out of nowhere and tell you that's the wrong pronunciation. And yeah. it's hard. It's hard. Yes, I, I would have given this book five stars, but they pronounced my town wrong. You know? One star. <laughs> like, Everything oh, else okay. was fantastic, but that one star is going to get it for that yes. one. Yeah. Yes. You know, locations are <laughs> memories, right? Sometimes if you've had a good time mm-hmm. in that small town of yours, it you have fond memories. Kind of like how you were saying when the author writes the character based on a grandma. And you kind of want to yeah. make sure that you're honoring that on your part as a narrator. Yes. But, you know, as a reader, sometimes you're like, we are human. We make mistakes. And in the same city, we're pronouncing something yeah. like Louisville five different ways. So back the fuck off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And like you say, when I when I speak in English, I think I have a um, strap line is that I'm Spanish by birth, British by nature, bilingual. So twice as much to say <laughs> because I'm famous for having for always talking far too much which i think is yes. the spanish side of me but as a as an english voice i am slightly more reserved my voice has a slightly more contained feel to it when i'm speaking in spanish i'm throwing my arms around i'm usually telling a joke i'm i'm having a laugh everything is just nicer and more passionate and more exciting in Spanish, you know. And I don't know if that's a social thing, you know, it's like because my English isn't American, yeah. it's British English. It also comes with that reserved feel yeah. to it. So it's because really we do interesting. Say, oh, maybe she sounded that harsh because she's British or she didn't sound like she was really enthusiastic mm-hmm. or they didn't sound enthusiastic because they're reserved because they're British. We kind of have a mindset of what certain yeah. individuals based on where they're born they're how they react and how they're more reserved and you know when it's funny it's ha 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 <laughs> you know and it's like yeah. and you and i from spanish we're like busting balling over hands are you know above our heads we're slapping the arms and the legs and and you know yes. ha- hugging on each other going girl <laughs> and it's just different very much so yeah, absolutely very different too yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's also like in, it's similar when we're reading the books there's these different scenes that as readers we, we are like oh my god they're going to get to that point whether they first meet where the, the friends are coming out over for dinner because they got some gossiping and catching up to do or the bantering between a hero and a heroine and you know it, 
that kind of goes across the different genres. But when it comes down to the books that you're narrating and you're, you've been cast for, there's got to be something that you're looking forward to. Is there a particular scene in in, in fiction book that you are like, ooh, like that's your favorite to perform? Uh, yes, it's the feisty heroine. You know, the girls who, particularly in historical mm -hmm. fiction, women were mm -hmm. seen and not heard. You know, they were passed from their father to their husband and they were expected to mm -hmm. run the house. And I, I tend to do historical fiction rather than historical mm -hmm. romance. So the stories tend to be about perhaps slightly more about the, you know, the, the story behind the house or the story behind the family rather than the romance aspect. But there's always romance, mm -hmm. isn't there? In life, as in as in literature, there is always romance. And the 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 moments I love are when the heroine can't hold it back any mm -hmm. longer. You know, when she's been polite and she's done as she was supposed to and she is wearing the right clothes and she's in the right place and she's doing the right thing and he's still pushing and she's mm -hmm. had enough. And finally, you get the real her and the, the author allows her to live on, on the page. And I love those moments. And then and she can't come mm -hmm. back from that. You know, she and, and often a lot of the like the steampunk detective mm -hmm. books will be about older women who didn't want to conform to society and have decided to actually just live their own lives and mind their own business. And they're not going to put up with expectations or with, you know, they're not going to play the game. I love those people, those characters. I just, oh, I could, I could play them all the time. They just mm -hmm. thrill me. And it's usually uh, spinster type women, or as I said, you know, heroines who will get the guy, but the guy needs to know what mm -hmm. he's taking on. And yeah. I love that. <laughs> Yes, strong I women. love strong, independent women that don't necessarily need the guy, but want them around. And why is different? And mm. I think that the, uh, especially romance is getting a lot better about providing us with that type of example and, and characters yeah, for us. Good. And so when the banter is fantastic and, you know, the, the heroine mm. is just telling the guy to go fuck off. I don't care how sexy you are. I'm not going to quiver at the knees. <laughs> go away. And the guy's just shook. <laughs> like, wait, what do you, what? But it's me, and like, I don't go for it. And part of it is too, because that's how kind of I am. I'm not that girl that, I mean, I'll tell you, mm. God, you're gorgeous, but you're being very fucking annoying right now. So I don't want to talk to you. And you won't get away with murder with me yeah. either. Yeah. And, you know, and I've learned yeah. that meek girl is just so not me, never has been, but it's one of those where yeah. I, I love it. And when to hear it in audiobook and have you guys perform it, we're like, oh, that's what it was supposed to be like. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. I also love the books where the um, mm -hmm. character grows. You know, some of the books, they'll start and, and the guy will be, you know, mopey and sad and unhappy and whatever. And, and then he meets the girl and he, no, mm -hmm. no, it's fine. And no, you know, and then he kind of, and they both do, they kind mm -hmm. of grow because of each other. And so, and you almost feel them become these people. And it's what I was saying earlier about having to be really careful with accents because when the when the author writes a character who grows from the beginning to the end of the book and becomes an empowered mm -hmm. male or female you know an empowered suddenly a person who realizes that they can you know pursue their dreams or whatever it is their voice will lift in enthusiasm in engagement in uh, excitement and you have to be able to mm -hmm. grow with that you know from the beginning of the book where nothing was going right for them and everything was kind of dull and unnecessary and you know they were confused about life to becoming this this person the author's written where they are as i say em empowered and they've they've managed to mm -hmm. achieve their dreams um and and that shift has to be heard you know that shift has to 
has to go with it. So I think that's going mm -hmm. back to prep. That's a really important part, knowing how much the character's going to grow as the book develops. You have to start at a place where you give yourself somewhere to go. Because if you if you hit too hot at the start, yeah. as with all things, you, you know, burn. <laughs> you got to start slow and work. You're absolutely yeah, nothing worse than going to that place where you're thinking you're done and you're like, oh fuck, there's stairs. Okay, <laughs> because yes. you just completely yes. ran all yes. the way down. I'm like I should have walked it. Yep, yep, you should have, Viv. <laughs> Go up the stairs, girl. You got it. Is there a genre that you have yet to narrate in that you'd love to? Um, do you know, when I came into the industry, I was a big fantasy reader and I was under the impression that you would get to narrate mm. what you liked reading. Nobody oh. hires me to read fantasy. And I never imagined for a moment that I'd be reading erotica and for no reason other than I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading it, but I didn't think, well, at the time, I didn't think there was a market for it. Little <laughs> did I know. And so despite not being able to read fantasy, it's why I mentioned the historical mm -hmm. fiction into steampunk has been my way of kind of enjoying that side of, of what I enjoy in literature. But actually, I've grown to love historical fiction, which I knew very little about uh, when I began. And nonfiction has really surprised me. I really love nonfiction. I love mm -hmm. a passionate author. I love the idea that somebody took seven years of their life to write about how post-its work, you know, or whatever it is. I, I am fascinated by the idea that somebody has put that much effort into creating this book and have now entrusted me to be that voice. And I love that sort of concept. So I'm, I'm, I think not actually, I'm, I've been really lucky to yeah, I think steampunk has satisfied mm -hmm. my need for fantasy, and I love historical fiction and nonfiction. So I'm I'm really happy with my well, lot. Who knows? Maybe someone, <laughs> an author listening now that's like, ah, I did not know that she wanted to do fantasy, Indeed. you know, and go from there. But yeah. I also love how you <laughs> really respect and honor the the work of the author, and you know, take it take care of it as if it was your baby, you know, because it was their baby and you honor it that way. And then the yeah. authors appreciate that. Sometimes yeah. authors can feel like the audience makes it all about the narrator. And and the author and the narrator sometimes is like nonchalant about the work. But the fact that you are very loving, you know, care for the, the work is from, from an author's perspective, it's something that I know is valued by them. I, I, yeah, I think my, my work with accents has made me really aware that without a script, I'm nobody. You know, I really struggle. I've been on podcasts before where I've talked about accents mm -hmm. and they say, go on then, do one. <laughs> I'm like, um, I don't know what you want me to say. And I think it's a throwback to being at primary school, you know, when I'm five or six and the kids at school would say, you're not really Spanish, mm -hmm. say something in Spanish. And I would just get stuck in the playground with this kind of... And I would always say, what do you want me to say? Until I worked out that I could say, mm -hmm. ¿Qué quieres que te diga? And they would say, what does that mean? I'd be like, it means, yeah. what do you want me to say? <laughs> I was just so lost. Yep. A, that nobody else spoke another language. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how do you not speak another language? <laughs> and so the the idea that, oh, I've, I've lost my train of thought completely. The authors and the appreciations of the work. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was going to say, but I, I just, I love the, I'm sure it was really exciting what I was going to say. However, I think I'm really conscious, particularly now, I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but I'm in the middle of writing a book and I, and I cannot tell you how much more admiration I have for authors than I had before. Because I've been going for three or four years now to conferences and talking to authors about creating their books in audio. And I've been coming at it from the position of, as a narrator, saying, I mean, audio is fantastic. I love audio. You know, I love reading and I love books, but I really love audio. 
and the explanations about you know how it's a very different market some of their readers will be listener readers and they'll switch and change between you know the car and the kitchen and their bedroom and they'll read and then listen and whatever but a lot of the market that listens only listens mm -hmm. and so those are people who wouldn't have walked into a bookstore and bought their book but they're now picking up their audiobook mm -hmm. and so it's a it's a whole nother ball game and I was under the impression that why would you not want that? Why would you not want to sell your book through another format, you know, have it be exposed to a bigger market? And then, as I said, this last 18 months, it's been a long time already that I'm writing this book that I thought was going to be really easy. And it's nonfiction, but it's my heart and soul is in this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm really nervous about it and really aware of how I mean, the ideas have changed several times and the, f the the basic format, the basic construct is the same, but I am constantly coming up with new thoughts, new ideas, new um, ways of interpreting. I'm, I'm spending so much side time on the business side, you know, the actual publishing, the marketing, you know, who should I be speaking to about it and where? And suddenly I'm seeing everything from the author's point of view. Mm -hmm. And I think as in life, it's a really important thing to be able to step into somebody else's shoes and go, when you hand me your book, I really appreciate what you're actually giving me. Mm -hmm. I really understand that this is your baby. And and as you say, to have people speak of the narrator as if the narrator had created the book, I'm really aware that I didn't, that I am just interpreting. I am given the responsibility and able to perform this book because somebody else wrote it. Mm -hmm. And if they hadn't, I'd be out of a job. So I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful to the authors and really aware of the investment required. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's only mine for you know three or four weeks or whatever it is. So it's a really short time, but it's a really intense time. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's why I like prep so much. I really, I really have to live what they've been living with these characters for sometimes three or four years. You know, it's it's a long time sometimes that people spend finishing and and perfecting a book so that I can then perform it. Mm -hmm. And I'm thrilled to be able to do so. Yeah. You know, really, really grateful. It is an interesting conversation because I straddle so many different sides of this world, um, which is great and I love it. I kind of get to see the different uh, conversations that are happening. And when it comes down to romance, how sometimes the listeners give all the, the love and the support to the narrators, but it took the author years to get that story out. And to get yeah. stuff like that. And then sometimes when I see the, the narrators being a little bit nonchalant, like I made this book sell, I'm like, listen, um, you sound good, but. Mm -mm. <laughs> and then yeah, without the words, yeah. you ain't nobody. Yeah. Or my favorite when they think I can do this and I'm like, yeah, you tried. Wasn't that good. Yeah. And but go ahead. I mean, that's the thing for me. It's a skill set. And like with any skill, you have mm -hmm. to sharpen it and you have to put the work behind it in order yeah. to make it better and good. And you could be very lucky yeah. and be fantastic in your first book, but then there's more sides to it from an author's perspective to get it out into the world. And there's so many different nuances. Yeah. And so working with the narrators to make it happen and have it be collectively and respectfully and appreciate each other's time spent in this project is huge, I think, in this world. And I love seeing it when it happens. Yes. So thank yeah. you for that as well. So you're writing a book. Do you want to talk more about that? Or you're like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us. Uh, no, yeah, happy to. It's it, it's it's actually well, it's currently called My Words oh, in Audio. How hard can it be? Because I have come across so many authors and people generally who either say you do that for a living, they pay you to do that, or authors who say why do I have to yes. pay you? I can just read my own book. And they can, and they should if they want to. But then they need to know all the things I took 5 mm -hmm. or 6 years before I even started learning. 
And so it's basically a practical guide to the requirements. So you've caught me, you've caught me off You're without fine. my pages in front of me, but basically it's split into the idea of performance, mm -hmm. the technical side, the practical side, and you know, the, the concepts of mm -hmm. what it is you're actually coming up against, you know, what you've actually said when you say, I would mm -hmm. like to produce an audiobook. So it's it's basically the the process of yeah, getting getting the book out there, you know, the different types of distribution, why you would want to, and then a section on my why you might not want to. Why why and how to make your money back if you're actually going to mm -hmm. hire somebody else to do it. Just because I think I think the yeah. that sense of how hard can it be is actually mm -hmm. the reason I got into the industry. The but the reason I'm still here is because yep. I now know how hard it can be. And I think that the that initial enthusiasm mm -hmm. it can be very short-lived. And I know a lot of authors who have entrusted me their books after they mm -hmm. started trying to do it themselves, or who have perhaps produced the first one, realized how hard it is, and would much rather pay somebody else. It's not a, an admission yeah. of, yeah, it's, it's actually a, a realization. You know, the reason I don't edit and master my own work is because although I can, because I studied so I could, it takes me so long and I find it so much less mm -hmm. entertaining than narrating that I outsource it. So I pay somebody else yep. to do it so that I can carry on reading mm -hmm. because that's the bit I love. And I think that's the important thing. It's kind of like a, a skill set that if you happen to have it and you have the you know, technical requirements and the, the practical time and all those things, then mm -hmm. go ahead, you know, enjoy. But if, and, and this is what you need to know. But if you don't, mm -hmm. this is why you might not. And so it's just this this idea that basically has come from going to all these conferences where I get those two camps. It's people who either are desperate to find the right narrator for their book and, and how you might go about doing that, or people who say, I can't have anybody else read my book because I wrote it, it's mine. And that sense of ownership is sometimes so important to them that then they need to learn how to do it yes. and how to get the best out of it. So it, it's just been this sort of ongoing thing that I'm talking about again and again. And suddenly I went, I have to write this down because I'm mm -hmm. carrying it all around in my head. And actually, instead of paying me to come and speak at your conference, <laughs> you could just buy my book. Wait, you get paid <laughs> to go well, to conferences? Shit, oh. I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, see, I haven't even read the book yet, and I already learned something. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's learning one's own self-worth, I think, is part of that conversation, too, and what you're bringing to the table. Yeah. And I do love that you're not saying to anybody, don't do it. But if you're going to do it, you should do it this, you know, these are the very basic, I don't even want to say the right way. I don't even want to mm. say that because there's so many different ways of doing mm. it, but you want to get no, the it's basic not. knowledge. Yes. I've always said, I just don't ever do anything half ass. And that's because I don't ever want to have my name attached to something that is not going to be good. And that means I'm going to learn yeah. first before yeah. I start. And sometimes I'm learning along the way. I mean, even the series, the, I did all the work, but sometimes we didn't know if this was going to work one way or the other, you know, the headphones versus no mic versus, you know, Google hangout versus zoom yeah. until you try it. But I go to yeah. other podcasters and I did the work and sometimes you don't do any of that and you're fucking lucky and it works out perfect, you know, but recreating yeah. that first yeah. time when it's perfect gets hard when you don't know what the fuck you're doing um and so you got to start backwards yes and and when you come up yeah when you come up yeah. against you know problems that you didn't yeah. anticipate suddenly you're stuck and i think there is a lot yeah. to be said for that kind of slow growth at the beginning you mentioned about knowing yes. your worth i do a lot of coaching with not just narrators but other people about mm -hmm. and it started as an elevator pitch 
You know, people would say things like, you know, I want I want to sell myself to authors and to publishers and, and how do I go about doing that? And I would say, mm-hmm. so who are you? What are you offering? And they go, well, I'm a narrator. And I'd be like, no, sorry. What What is your background? Who do you, where do you come from? How do you see yourself? What are you, what are you bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, I, I don't know. And so I do these sessions with people about, and I call them elevator pitch because it's this concept that you've stepped into the elevator and you've pressed, you know, 32 and somebody next to you presses 42 and turns to you and says, Oh, hi, I'm an audiobook producer. What do you do? And you go, Oh, I'm a narrator. And then you say nothing for the rest of the journey mm-hmm. because you don't have an elevator pitch. And so it's really important to know mm-hmm. what you offer that if somebody were to stop you in a hotel foyer or behind you in a coffee in a line in the you know buying coffee at Starbucks it's it's important to know and to believe in what you do and I think it took me a good three or four years to tell people that I was an audiobook narrator and then another three or four years to be able to say and this is what I bring and what it has allowed is for me to understand that I don't get all the books I audition for stuff and other people get them I reach out to authors and they say no thank you and that's fine because when I hear the or the narrator they did choose or I realized that that author wasn't ready to have an audiobook. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with me. And that's been a lifetime of learning about accepting rejection or finding mm-hmm. out where my people are, you know, who the people are who are interested in talking to me or who mm-hmm. are willing to pay me for my knowledge. So it's, it's, a, it's a real, again, that's a real process, isn't it? But you said about, you know, the importance mm-hmm. of knowing who you are and what you offer. I, I think that's, that really is where it's at. Yeah, it's still um, a work in progress. it's been 15 plus years in this industry in one capacity or another and when you wear many hats sometimes you're trying to figure out where do you truly fit in and find like you said finding your people that are going to value you and what you bring to the table and then demonstrating it right is another conversation in itself and 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 understanding that there's going to be people out there that do not see your worth and that's mm-hmm. not a reflection on you. And that's not anything to do with you. That's on them. And that says way more about them than they do you. I'm still yeah. learning. I can give you the speech. <laughs> <laughs> like I tell people, I'm great at marketing your stuff. I will give you, I should write yes. a book kind of a thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But for myself, not so much. I need someone else to help me with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I love your your the book concept because there are sometimes authors that will say, I want, you know, because the story is so personal to them, whether it's a fiction or a nonfiction, or they may have the talent and some of it, they just don't know how to go about it. And instead of just saying, no, you shouldn't, because this whole stigma about authors reading your own books, if it's nonfiction, excuse me, if it's fiction versus nonfiction, there's like, okay, it's a memoir. You should be able to, but not everyone should either, by the way, but it's just go ahead, try it. What's the worst that can happen? You're like, I don't like being in this booth. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, outsource it. It's okay. I, you know, I yeah. outsource my yeah. editing for the podcast. I tell authors all the time: if you have the funds and you don't like marketing, get someone to do it for you. Spend time yeah. where it's fun for you. That's where the creativeness comes into yeah. play. And it's funny the the wearing all the hats. Yes. You know, I I struggle sometimes because I am a narrator and a uh-huh. speaker and a coach, and I worry that I'm perhaps spreading myself yes. too thin, or you know, I shouldn't be trying to do so many things. And I'm like, I love yes. all of it. And so, if there are authors out there who may have been actors uh-huh. before and are now writing, and perhaps went through that same journey of people going, you shouldn't be a writer because that's not what you do. And you go, we can all do whatever we want, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's it's about recognizing your own abilities Mm -hmm. and following the path that you enjoy and that brings you passion. And if it doesn't bring you the results you want, then you get somebody else to do it Mm -hmm. for you. And recognizing all of those things and that self-awareness, that's the journey. 
Yeah. See, now my husband's, it's going to still love you, but not happy. Cause I've been for an example, and this is a silly example. Like I tend to do things again, not half-assed, but I get really good at something. And like, I have not picked up any epoxy to do anything to do with epoxy because my concern is I'm going to make it into a business any moment. Now, if I pick up this thing, <laughs> I don't do anything half-assed, but I mean, what's the worst that could happen, right? I pick it up. I discover yeah. that I love it and I, well, great. I make it into a business if I, if I wanted to, but if I don't, I can always stop and that's okay. I don't have to go continue yeah. it just because I became good at it or because I feel like I have to, because now I have picked it up. So that's a good point too, yeah. that it's, it's okay to start something. And it's not that you're not going to finish it. It's just that you've discovered that it's not that right path for you. So you just rearrange the path and either go back a little bit and start again in a different angle, or you figure out the shortcut to the other side where you really want it to be and you're done and you start working from yeah. there. So it's true when you wear many hats, it's a little difficult sometimes to figure out where you fit in too. So yeah, yeah. With, with your coaching, how did you get into that? Because you do do a lot of different coachings and what are all about? Yeah, that as with most of my life, it was kind of by mistake. Mm -hmm. So I, two and a half years ago, I started called Clubhouse, which is an audio only social app. And it's kind of falling out of favor now, but over COVID, I live alone. It was, it was a lifeline mm -hmm. for me. It was a space where I could go and I knew, regardless of the time of day, I could turn it on and I would find people to talk to. And mm -hmm. particularly here in Britain, you know, lockdown was serious and long term. Mm. And it was really confusing. And when you live by yourself with no pets, there's very little mm. you can do. You know, we were allowed out of the house for an hour for a walk. And, you know, there was this implication that if anybody found you out and you weren't on a, on a specific journey to go somewhere, that you know there was it was a very strange time wasn't it i'm, I'm already as yes. i'm saying it it already feels like science fiction doesn't it <laughs> yes it does like that was like or like it was like back in like yes. so many eons yes, ago yes yes right? last century yes, <laughs> yes. but i uh, yeah i started this clubhouse and i made lots of friends and lots of voiceover people and there were lots of voiceover junkies and voiceover booths and something or other and that's how i just i met you that's how yes it was. yeah and like, uh, and i i used to get up in the morning and i would turn it on and there'd be people in LA going to bed as I was having my breakfast and they would say good night and I'd say good morning and we'd get on with our days and it dawned on me there were no other audiobook narrators and I would search and I would look and it was the time when you had to be invited on mm -hmm. app by yeah. somebody else an author invited me and so I started an audiobook club and we now have mm -hmm. more than 9,000 members and we run five or six rooms a week of on different things I run a book a room on a Wednesday which is basically about it's called Narrators Assemble and all audiobooks narrators get together and discuss the topic of the day, whatever that happens to be. Next week, we're actually interviewing an engineer who's just written a book about sound engineering. So I do different things every Wednesday, but we have two on a Sunday, Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays, all about different things. Some are about scheduling and focus. That's the Thursday one. On a Monday, Brian Telestai runs one that's about, that's a narrator workout and people come along and read a minute of audio and then discuss how it felt and why you may or may not want to continue in that career. So it's it's a really interesting space and a space where we've been allowed to gather and be with people who talk about the same stuff we love. You know, it's really uncomplicated and it's really welcoming and, and lovely. And so I, I started doing some of the work with the narrator workshop and then people would reach out to me and say, do you do coaching? And I'd say, not currently, but I can recommend these people. And eventually I started, I do uh, six sessions about, you know, how to, how and where to find work, about book prep, you know, creating characters, how to, covering distribution. So basically all the stuff I'm writing about in the book, you know, covering distribution and networking, accountability and time keeping all the, all the things that keep our lives running and through that the elevator pitch coaching came up and again people who just wanted some time with me to go 
what's this about and who am I anyway? You know, how do other people see me? And I think sometimes one of my favorite quotes I say is that we are all underwhelmed by our own abilities. I was mm. under the impression the fact that I spoke Spanish or that I could, you know, do various things was a given. And that's where the bar started. And so anybody else's talents that I didn't have was what I was lacking. And I had mm -hmm. to flip that completely on its head and realize that not everybody speaks another language. Not everybody has a gift wow. for hearing accents. Not everybody loves reading books. And that appreciation made me go, so what's everybody else doing? And why aren't they telling us about that? And I've met people who spent five years in clown school and don't even mention it when they chat with you. I'm like, how could you not mention clown school? That sounds no. fabulous. <laughs> I've got a guy who has a Michelin star. He cooks. He's also an audiobook narrator. I had no idea. And he said, well, How I just... dare they not share Indeed. <laughs> and he said, well, it's a major commitment, but I want to move out of that into this. And so I didn't think I should mention that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it makes me true. remember you. It makes me think of you and creme brulee, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's my favorite, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting the backgrounds that we all have yeah. that we think are not attributing to what we're currently doing or we want to go. Yeah. And some of those skill sets that he learned as a chef in order to get that Michelin star yeah. can be so helpful in his career for narrating yeah. the commitment, the time spent. I mean, if you can spend in the kitchen, can you make imagine 3000 times, yeah. Jesus is a commitment for Indeed. that. Yeah, so that's awesome. And I know that you have a couple of other groups in the clubhouse as well, but you're also now doing more conferences and you're doing more, even like you're getting with Sean Pratt and Johnny Heller and things like that and yeah. traveling and being now that you guys are getting on a boat. Yeah. So I'm, this year's a really big year for me, actually. I spoke at the yeah. Splendiferous Workshop in New York just now in uh, the end of March and Johnny Heller runs a narrator retreat in New England the end of October and I'm speaking there. I'm also going to MAVO which is the Mid-Atlantic Voiceover Conference and it's doing audiobook work but I also do this be your own cheerleader, this concept of our inner critics and our mm -hmm. self-doubt and, and why we hold ourselves back and how not to. It's, it's a practical talk mm -hmm. on you know when you find yourself second-guessing yourself here's what you know here's how to coach yourself mm -hmm. out of it because I find sometimes some of the talks leave me inspired but not with practical tools to take away and actually use. So I was really keen to kind of, and it's a bit yeah. like the book, I'm just keen for people to be able to pick it up and run with it, you know, do their own thing with it. And yeah, and then next year, next April, there's an audiobook Adventures at Sea, a cruise down to Cozumel and yeah. Nassau from Miami, which is, just sounds like a dream, doesn't it? <laughs> It does, especially with you guys in there. And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll work the sessions just to be able to hang out. Absolutely. <laughs> but these are, it's all the exciting times and you're bringing so much to the table of your own skill sets and stuff like that. So find yourself. Oh yeah, all the time. So I, I'm big into education. So I learn in exchange for doing. So instead of taking action, I go, well, I'll just take another mm -hmm. course. I'll get another qualification. I'll get another certificate. And so mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a qualified life coach. I'm currently finished a course on coaching people out of limiting beliefs, which is absolutely fascinating. And I also did a you know whole wow. thing on suicide prevention. And there's been that course was actually about how to have difficult conversations because I was starting to find that because mm -hmm. of the elevator pitch coaching, people were coming with stories about like mine. You know, my parents didn't think I could do this or my siblings still think this is a hobby. You know, my, my partner doesn't believe in me or my kids don't understand. They have to be quiet for at least two hours a day so I can record, you know. So people have 
so many kind of other sides to their lives. And I don't feel like it's something that's talked about enough within the industry, voiceover or narration. It's mm -hmm. people talk about talent yeah. and commitment and, you know, auditioning and doing the grind so that you can, you know, get the success. But actually, what's stopping you? And there are so many things stopping all of us. And I do. I, I suffered greatly oh, from imposter syndrome at the beginning. Now it's more mm -hmm. I, another favorite quote of mine is you should question your acting choices, but you should never question yourself. And I'm like, oh. I love that oh. because it is it's true that and again that's what i do in prep in the prep i'm going so this guy's intelligent but boring he's you know he's um, amusing but you know and people people you can kind of throw adjectives at people but when you then come to do their voice when you start being them they have so much more to them than mm -hmm. you realized you know that are actually really hard to just put into three adjectives that concept that idea of us being whole people and that we bring to our narration and we're, we're bringing our entire past with us. You know, I think it's really hard. Some people talk about leaving it outside of the booth. And I think that's actually a really hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think I get employed for being me. So I bring all of me, you know, this is what you get. And that's been a lifetime because as a child, I was the, you know, shut up, stay still, stop doing that. Don't touch it, you know, put it away. <laughs> it was, there was this constant kind yeah. of be less. And within this industry, mm -hmm. I finally found a space where I wasn't too much or I wasn't not enough. I could just be me. And me was what I was bringing. Me was what I was offering. Mm -hmm. And some authors go, oh, you are exactly what I'm looking for. And so that connection, that yeah. idea of matchmaking with the authors that write the books that I can particularly perform thrills me. And it's the same for everybody. There are books out there waiting for you to be match made with. And I love that idea. I love that. Yeah. I love that, like matching it. And also knowing that who you are today oh, is going to be yes. different than who you are tomorrow and months from now. Yes. And it's okay. And that people need to look at you that way and not expect the person that you were permission permission to ago. be different you know that, when that you permission to you know i think yes. families particularly are bad at it you know you get labeled a particular way like yes. you're you're great at maths but that's all you do it means you can't be a dancer you know and it's mm -hmm. like hang on surely we can and it's what we yep. were saying before isn't it we can be anything we want we just need to commit to it and do it to the mm -hmm. best of our ability so it's yeah it's an interesting mm -hmm. and i'm not suggesting we should all go and try and be astronauts i'm i'm meaning that there are <laughs> Indeed. No doctors and surgeries. <laughs> no, it's not what it is. <laughs> I'm just saying that if there's a passion there and a commitment and you can't think about anything else, there's a reason for that. And so where there are authors mm -hmm. who are desperate to read their own audiobooks or narrators who want to write, you know, whatever it happens to be, there's a reason it's happening. And, mm -hmm. and you should follow that path until you find another path. You know, I'm, I'm a real believer in, in kind of just mm -hmm. being open to everything. I think it's really important not to close any doors. Yeah. And yeah. doing the work behind it, too, though, because I think right now, it's one thing I've said to people where they're like, where'd you get started? Or we have now, we live in a world because of social media where fans now have access to you guys as narrators and authors and story. And then they think, oh, I can help you with your marketing because that video that I did went viral. And I'm like, I, that's where, and then the author gets excited because that video that you did went viral. And that's where I kind of have to have that conversation with everybody and say, listen, go for it, girl. You want to do marketing and stuff like that? You want to learn about the books, whether it's to do a production company or be a producer or to work in this and help the authors with their career that's fantastic before you start the business though yes. <laughs> do the work that requires you to learn what this means and what the industry's standards are and where to start and start off small whether that means learning from someone else uh doing an internship using your own if you have a degree in, in something you how do you use that into translating into books versus yeah. corporate speak right uh, but you have to do the work and i think that sometimes that people get like well why i'm like just because you were lucky in the one thing 
doesn't mean that you it's not work afterwards because yeah. luck happens very rarely and you still need to do the work and that's okay you have to if you really are passionate yeah. about it yeah it's not going to be work you know i mean that kitchen is fucking hot and annoying and loud and things are being thrown and tossed and you're going to get burned but when you're in it and you love it and you find that when that creme brulee <laughs> is so good and you snap oh. the spoon on it and that the sugar yeah. cracks perfectly and you're going hmm it's worth it. It was not work. And now the next time you make that creme brulee, it's going to be yeah. less work and less and less and less. And people are going to love it and they're going to want the recipe. And then it goes from there. And what you yeah. do with that talent is where the career ends up because now you're selling the recipes. Now you're selling the desserts for other restaurants. There's so many different things you can go about it, but yeah. you got to do the work. Somebody said to me the other day about, um, was I not sad that I had spent 20 years in an office and not, you know, not done this? And I said, I've been thinking about this my entire life. You know, it's not like yeah. I wasn't paying attention to music or, you know, going to the theater or reading books or everything added up. And in 2009, was the moment that I went, that's enough. I have to do something about this. And I'd already been studying piano for three or four years then and realized it was singing I was avoiding. And so I went and did this five mm -hmm. years of classical singing training, which changed my life and actually was the thing that allowed me to learn to speak in public, to perform, you know, at concerts, to be at the theater, and then to take leads in musical theater. You know, it, the whole thing has been a real kind of growing process, but I am working really hard all the time to learn new things, to master techniques that I perhaps knew nothing about. And and I think sometimes, like you say, with social media, things look easy. Things look like they take mm -hmm. very little effort. And that's the talent. When you think it took very little effort, mm -hmm. it probably did because of the five years beforehand of the rubbish videos that were coming out yep. or the rubbish dances that mm -hmm. they were doing. And I think that's the story behind it. I think I always say longevity in this industry is what it's really about. Mm -hmm. if you need to Stick yep. it out long enough to realize what you don't know and then learn what you don't know mm -hmm. so that you're good at what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then surround yourself with oh, others yeah. that can help yeah. bridge those gaps because I am not your TikTok girl, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I have ideas for content, but I'm not executing yeah. it, you know, but I know a girl or yeah. I know a, a person. And so, so kind of building that team of yours, even if it's not a, under an umbrella of a corporate business kind of a thing, but knowing that you have these skill sets and then knowing who else can help bridge those gaps is always good. Even yeah. if it's just for learning that one other skill set, may never use it for anything, yeah. but you learned it. You're yes. definitely a learner yeah. <laughs> in this conversation. Yeah, you are a learner. You like learning, which is fun. Mm. I'm a learner too, so I'm not just saying that, but it's fun. But it's also there's a lot of always yes. more things to learn, and you're like. But I think it I also start? allows you to know what you are and aren't good at. You know, there are some things I've started, and yes. I'm going, "Oh, this isn't for me." <laughs> nope. Mm -mm. Me too. Me too. There's been, yeah. like I said, I'm not. I tried yes, the TikTok. Yeah. I tried it because I'm like, I know how to edit video. I know how to do this. I'm not good at being in front of the camera, so that was going to be a big <laughs> no for me. And even when it came down to doing the edits and stuff like that for other, like for potential clients, I will do the very basic stuff. If you want more, yeah. gotta find a yeah. girl. Gotta find a person. But that was good. I don't like pretending to know something either. I will learn it, and I will become a SME yeah. at it. But I, yeah. you know. Mm -mm. I don't want to do it. It's okay. So when you're a learner and you're doing all these lovely things, I mean, you have like, when do you rest? <laughs> and so when you're not working, what do you do for fun? I'm not very good at the resting. It's a bit of an issue at the moment. I was listening to a, a podcast and they were talking about the importance of a, oh, it wasn't a podcast. It was the commencement speech at my daughter's university. And oh. the guy said, it's really important to remember to maintain your physical and mental health and to know how What's to that? relax. And I went, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, stop yeah, attacking me. Yeah. <laughs> I play cricket 
which is really interesting. So I, I play mm -hmm. in a ladies team here where I live in the, in the village and we're in the, the county league. And uh, so once a week I go to training and once a week we play a match. Through the winter it's indoors and in the summer it's outdoors, but it rains so much here in England that you never really know when you're going to get to play. So that kind of keeps me healthy and keeps me socially active. So I, I get to go out with those people. I recently moved mm -hmm. to a new area and I'm struggling to find a choir I like because that's the thing that's currently missing from my life. I need to sing some mm -hmm. more. So that's currently on my list of things to investigate further. But I think it's really important to have a life outside the booth, which I, I currently, uh, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you should keep each other in check. So Viv, <laughs> what did you do for fun this week? What did you do to disconnect and not work? And I'd be like, I don't know, Anna, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we'll get better at giving each other the answers to those yes, questions. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Yes. Well, cricket, it's the discovering of when you move someplace new sometimes that could be like just fun, like finding new places to have yeah. coffee or getting out and then stuff. But that would also require a little bit of peopling, which is sometimes yeah. hard for some of us. I used to, where uh, I used to live, I was there for 22 years before. And uh, so when I mm -hmm. finished a book, I would take myself out for cake and coffee. And cake and coffee mm -hmm. was like my, I would finish a book sooner just because I knew the cake and coffee was coming, you know? <laughs> I'd be like, I'm hey. hitting my deadline because then I get carrot cake. <laughs> And uh, oh, see, I need to absolutely, but I've yet to find a place here that makes a good carrot cake or that calls to me. So I've gone to like two mm. or three different places, and each time I'm like, no, nah, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> so yeah, I need to uh, set up some systems to make sure that I'm uh, yeah, yeah back on track. Yeah, it's hard sometimes when you're a fan yeah. of something, and it there also holds memories because of all the good times. That carrot cake in that other place may not be that no, good. Actually, yes, you know yeah, it was I mean? the atmosphere the and the people. And the, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, the, the fun times that you had in that area that makes yeah. it oh so good. And so when you, you're trying to compare it to someplace new, that can be very difficult, yeah. I've learned. And so I, I try to give every, when I'm in so the you're, similar you're saying space. that I should go for chocolate cake or red velvet cake. Is that the message? Yes, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> okay. maybe something different, you know, because it's a different time yeah. in your life. It's a different location. Yeah. But then also that means that you're not comparing it and getting Yes, that's true. That's true. I will try that. I'll let you know how I go. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Then we can see about recreating the recipe <laughs> so yes. it's fun because there's some stuff that you guys have brought out there that i'm like one day i will make it across the pond it's not a fucking pond it's a ocean scary but one day i will do it well let me know i'll have found the best cake shop by the time you get here <laughs> perfect yes see that would be that would be maybe that's a little bit of motivation and i do hope that when you come out to keep chatting about like other places that you're coming here Lovely. for the state so we can meet up too and then i can show you some of my favorite places yes, for please. different desserts and stuff like perfect. that in, uh, around here i do know a good <laughs> creme brulee so we're good there Lovely. These were covered in the creme brulee department. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I'd like to do with our guests is to get to know them better on top of all this lovely chatting is to play the game of two truths and a lie where you tell us three things about yourself and we have to figure out which one's a lie. We're also discovering <laughs> how good of a liar you are, but a loving okay. way, of course. So if you're ready okay. with your three things. Uh, so the first one is I juggle to calm my nerves only with three, but I do do tricks. My second is my father was a professional soccer player for Real Madrid and at home we never talked about sport. And the third is I have a day skipper license, which means I can sail a yacht up to 80 feet long, which is 24 meters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> possible. That's kind of the idea, isn't it? <laughs> Especially because, right? Yes. Um, and the level of detail sometimes too is always I find it fascinating where it could be that he could have been a 
instead of a professional soccer player, he was just, you know, it was more of a hobby, but a professional hobby, of course, or it wasn't soccer, it was this other thing, so on and so forth. And it wasn't the yacht length, it was something else. And it's just funny, but being a learner, I could totally see you learning how to get a day skipper license. We're like, I like to learn about that. Sure. Next, he's going to do a jet, ladies and gentlemen, flying a plane. I would do, I would fly that airline though, just because I know you did your due diligence and I would not be questioning what your skill sets are. Um, so I, mm, was the lie that your your dad was a professional soccer player? And you no, did he not was a professional soccer player for Real Madrid. <laughs> okay, but see, you added the yeah, whole we, we didn't. That's that's home, still true. So that's why yeah, my oh. uh, my father. Oh, wow. So my mother's father was an importer of fruit from the Canary Islands. He imported avocados and tomatoes and bananas to Covent Garden in London. And mm -hmm. my parents had three kids and my father played then for Las Palmas in Gran Canaria and just wasn't earning enough mm -hmm. money. It was the you know 50s and 60s and football wasn't the or soccer wasn't the game it is now. And uh, my grandfather offered him a job in uh, the fruit office in Covent Garden. And my mother was pregnant with me when they moved here. Yeah. So we came as a family of you know six uh, into a Spanish speaking house. And then I went to school in London, hence the way I speak and the fact that I'm bilingual. But yeah, he was. He was a professional soccer player. <laughs> Yeah, I figured it may, he was, but the whole speaking at the house may have been part of the lie. Apparently, so. my grandfather wanted my mother to marry the avocado farmer on the island, and she turned down of his uh, his wedding proposal for my father, who was just a <gasps> soccer player. But he was he was a lovely man, and I'm very glad she married him. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. At least no, in this indeed, form, indeed. Right? But um, yeah, so at home, yeah, it was see, all about a, him him selling right fruit there. and about the boxes of avocados and what had happened to the tomato van, and you know that was all we ever talked about at home. And so I think I was a teenager before oh, I realized that actually, you know, him being a professional soccer player for Real Madrid was a big deal. And it was when I had boyfriends and I would mention it and the boys would go crazy. Mm. Like, I'm sorry, can I meet yeah, your dad? Like, you know, like, why? Mm -hmm. He's just my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was funny. So juggling now to calm the nerves or day skipper? Um, is it the, the day skipper? It is. Then? <laughs> Although okay. I do know how to drive a motorboat and I do sail, but I don't have a skipper's license. <laughs> Quite just probably shy of it to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but now that I've said it, I may have to go and do that. Yeah. <laughs> See? Sorry. <laughs> Well, you know, at the end of the day, you could always do an author or a narrator retreat and have that be oh, part yes. of the uh, activities and just, yeah. you know what I mean? So wow. you never know. Indeed. Yeah, it could totally be useful <laughs> in one way or the other. <laughs> Lovely. So you juggle? Yeah. To calm your and, nerves. And yeah, I find it really calming. I don't know why I, huh. I learned to juggle as a, at a relatively young age. And it's, the kind, mm -hmm. it's kind of like riding a bicycle. Once you know how, you don't forget. And I find it, there is mm -hmm. so much commitment or focus required that I can't think about anything else. So when I'm really worked up mm. or upset about something, juggling chills me out. It's really weird. Mm. Yeah, it's nice. Well, that's good. I can understand it. I can yeah. see it, the focusing and stuff like that, because that's the thing sometimes I'm lacking is because I'm good at multitasking mm. is being able to focus yeah. on the one thing. And it's like, and when you have a task like that, that requires yes. your entire focus, that I need to find something. <laughs> because I mean, even knitting, yeah. you can watch, um, you know, graphic stuff, you can, you can watch TV or you can do something else or listen to books. But yeah, it's a, that's rather interesting. You work with words all day long and now you're also writing them is what is your favorite word? And that's separate from your favorite curse word, because that's a different part of the, Ooh, of the my favorite word. <laughs> mm -hmm. Gosh, that's really interesting. That's not something I thought mm -hmm. about. My favorite word. It doesn't have to be in English either, especially when we're bilingual. We have, there's some of them that are like, ooh, 
That's right. It's Spanish. That's the other one. <laughs> Do you know, I, um, for some reason, añoranza is my favorite word at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. And I don't know what it is I'm longing for or what it is I'm, I'm missing or what I'm yearning. Yearning, that's the word I was after. But it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, yeah, I love that word for no reason whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. You know, like añoranza. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, That's a, such an interesting. I feel like I need to come back and tell you because I'm, I'm sure there is something I'm, I'm yes. not thinking about. But I find words fascinating. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm particularly I'm doing so much work in America at the moment and, and sort of coming over for conferences and stuff that the choice of words that we use as Brits and you use as Americans fascinates me as well. Mm -hmm. So your use of awesome. You know, I in, in my world, uh -huh. awesome is like five star gold medal winning, you know, the best thing ever. And there is nothing to top it. Whereas you guys use awesome as mm -hmm. a good morning, you know, a nice ice cream. And I'm fascinated by, hmm. you know, I'll, I'll go into a, a restaurant and, you know, the pancakes are awesome. It's like they're good pancakes, you know. <laughs> and sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like it's me being yeah. very judgmental. But actually, I think it's just the use of the word awesome that over here means so much more yeah. than just really yes. great. Yeah, I'm fascinated by words generally, you know, and, and like I said, this idea of crossing the pond, as you said, we, we do use <laughs> words so very differently. Yeah. I'm also confused by people. I, confused is a word I use a lot and I think I use it incorrectly but I use it incorrectly because I'm confused mm. a lot people confuse me situations <laughs> confuse me yes. people's choices confuse me yes. so oh, I'm, God, I'm yes. using that word I seem to be using <laughs> and people have commented on it lately it's like you say that all the time and I'm like oh dear <laughs> and I think mm -hmm. I'm not confused yes. like I don't understand I'm confused because it, they're not choices I would make or things that I would say or stuff that you know and I'm I'm always yeah. astounded at how different the rest of the world is to me like why everybody doesn't have my mm -hmm. opinion I don't know <laughs> you know it's it sounds silly but yeah no I think that's a lot of it I think has to do with being bilingual and being brought up in a household with different backgrounds mm -hmm. and ethnicities and even priorities like the fact that it would have been so normal for your mom to yes. have married the <laughs> yes, avocado yes. guy right and that was the expectation because why from a business yeah. perspective that was a yeah. smart business transaction versus falling in with a soccer player what the hell is he gonna bring to the family and i'm like he should kick the coconuts really far dad come on you know and there's other skill sets but those are the priorities that are also different when it comes down to parents yeah. of immigrants background culturally and, and you are also very extremely knowledgeable and you are a learner so that's also yeah. that learning brain yeah. of finding things differently and it's very interesting when you have these conversations with non-bilingual individuals or individuals that have been in the same country state for so many years, what yeah, they find yeah, normal. Yeah. <laughs> going I think, I think bilingualism so is really underrated, actually. I think it makes us incredibly adaptable and yes. incredibly tolerant, you know, because yes. we are aware of Absolutely. two perfectly healthy and happy societies that don't necessarily mix mm -hmm. and we are part of both and to be part of both we mm -hmm. get to say this yeah. is great about this and this is great about this and not everything is perfect in either but it doesn't have to be yep. i love that about mm -hmm. i have a lot of friends who are bilingual and we talk a lot about the things you said at the beginning about you know words that you use in one language but not the other or ways that you think because you are bilingual that only another bilingual person will understand mm -hmm. and also being a first generation born mm -hmm. of immigrant parents that's a really connecting yes. thing i meet other people and i'm like i don't know why i like you so much but i really like mm -hmm. you and then you discover that actually you have a very similar background or yes. you know your upbringing was very similar or mm -hmm. whatever and it's it is all fascinating yeah and just to, even how conversations happen like especially with being bilingual and I always mention it like when you say to someone I love you in English that's just yeah. the one way to say it but in Spanish we have things like te quiero you know, te, te, you know yeah. they have 5,000 different ways yeah. to give you almost like different levels yeah. of yeah. where you're at <laughs> you know 
te amo, you know, te adoro. Mm -hmm. It's all these different things and different ways of expressing oneself. That's where the different languages and the words have so much meaning behind them. And at least being open to to learning some of them. It's fantastic too, to have that diversity. So what's your favorite curse word? Oh, I'm a big, I'm a big curse word builder. Mm So, sorry, <laughs> something else I'd never thought about. I'm big into saying this is fucking shit. You know, I never can just say one. It's always like, yeah, it, they come out as a stream rather than a, a nonsensical mm-hmm. stream usually. But I'm not a singular word user. You why? know why that is, right? Oh, well, yes. That you could, why say it with one word when you could it use really ten? Is. <laughs> the, the Spanish. But in Spanish, you think about yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. not just the one. It's like you have an entire yes. emotion behind it. And the word and that emotion from the how you started to where you yes. end it, the pitch is different. It's funny. So my, my father was a big, when I, when I think of him, when I was little, there was all this, you know, parece mentira, no me lo puedo creer. You know, there was always, and it was always a phrase. Uh-huh, it was never yes. a single word. And so in English, just saying fuck mm-hmm. or shit doesn't, really give it any kind of enough of Do a it. kind of yeah mm-hmm. like the passion behind it isn't sufficient yeah. <laughs> yes yeah That's yes my yes motherfucker you gotta be <laughs> fucking kidding me yes <laughs> or i have borrowed yeah I'm, I'm a big bloody hell user yeah i can't bloody believe it yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm good at throwing them into sentences yes. as well you know bloody does come in a lot mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, wanker. (laughs) Oh, I was listening to one of your episodes and somebody used the C word very freely and commented that the C word is used freely in England. And I don't think that's true. I am not a user of the C word. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I think it depends on where it is. I think, again, that whole yes, bit of yeah, a bias yeah. of what we think certain things are. In, and also, it could be that yeah, where they were yeah. from or where they visited or lived at the yeah. time and place at that location, it was freely used. And, you know, well, then how do we know yeah, about this stuff? Well, because yeah. we see it on BBC America. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then we have, you know, some of the British narrators that will also make the exact same statement. And I'm going, yeah, but that's yes, just yeah. And you know, you're, you're, as you're saying that, I'm reminded sometimes yeah, I'll do an audition and they'll say, "Could you be a little bit more British?" And I'm like, I, I don't know what you want from me. And I actually, I, I now do know five years in. And they're looking for mm-hmm. that kind of Mary Poppins, Julie Andrews, you know, feel that says British, mm-hmm. but isn't how anybody yes. actually speaks. Yeah, which is fascinating. And I think the same is true of, of swear words. You know, there are obviously groups of people who will use mm-hmm. a particular curse word or a, they'll be able to say the c word mm-hmm. without feeling like god might strike them down and then others who just don't mm-hmm. and i guess it yes it's part of you know how you grew up or how old you are i think is also uh, my kids both my daughters are in their 20s and they use words yes. much more freely than i do so i think it's a generational thing yeah. so perhaps i'm just a little too old for the c word mm-hmm. <laughs> no i think also too it's a gener- it's you know also a cultural thing like my mom did not curse whatsoever yeah. i learned to curse because of my best friend in high school <laughs> And uh, thank you. <laughs> but she would also use, because in her eyes, it was a, a way yeah. of, there's other ways to express herself and you don't need to go there. It was a little bit almost like uneducated. Like if you had to use that word, it's because you weren't smart enough to come up with a yeah. different word that could express that way. And in some cases she was right, because I do sometimes feel that cursing is used as a filler yeah. just like sometimes yeah. sex scenes in books are used as fillers because there's nothing else bringing value to that moment and i'm like there, there is point, nothing worse a than a gratuitous fuck okay. is that what you're saying <laughs> well it's just one of those like okay yes, well if yes. also if you're going to use it use it right that's the same thing with my kids i've always told my son i struggled when we first got him because he's adopted and he was a little older to not be that parent that curse i was going instead of that's just bullshit <laughs> i was like baloney you know and fudge and there's certain times where i'm like fudge just oh god fudge you know like depending on what the moment is yeah but i was starting to get anxiety 
And it's because I was trying so hard to hide from being who I am and myself, but also I had to have that lesson with him. I'm like, listen, I'm going to teach you how to use these in the proper terms and content and know that there's audience, you know, read the room, learn who's in the room and what's appropriate and what, and be respectful of it. If someone in the room is particular about it, like your grandma or there's some individuals from a religious perspective, or they're just, you don't want to be the one that says, my little boy learned from you. I'm the proud aunt that taught my niece how to curse, but yeah. I also taught her when to do it. But I told my sister, if I have to go into school to do that parent-teacher conference because she went, fuck you, I will proudly do it. But we will yes, have to have a talk yes. about how you don't say that in school in front of the, as a classroom to kind of like from there. If you're doing it in the yard yeah. with friends, yeah. you know, just know that there's going to be concepts. It's like with anything that you do, it's okay to do it if you want to yeah. do it, but there might be something that you have to reach with but yeah no I mean I use the I use the c word <laughs> and see I you know because you said the c word I'm mirroring it now but it's if I'm using it well yes yes they fucked me over big time or that something to me it's like one of those like there's yes just like in Spanish when I use the but the certain words you know that and so if I got to that level or yeah. they did something to make me call You're them in that, trouble now that's, you know, oh damn but that also yeah but that also means that I'm putting meaning yes, behind yes. the words they are they are gratuitous sometimes I'm, I was that terrible parent too. that used to say okay what else could you yes. have said in that in that context what other words could you have used because i was yeah. brought up with the it's a lack of vocabulary you know mm-hmm. if, if you can't express yourself yes. better with real words what are you doing yep. kind of thing and when my kids became teenagers mm-hmm. there were occasions where only a good fuck would would work you know i turned to them and they'd look at me like oh <laughs> shit she's going to tell us off and i'd be like do you know that was perfect i don't know what else you could have said there you know that really was required yes <laughs> mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, but I think it's a yeah. learning how to yeah. use it. I think it's the important thing. It's like my kid, to now he's going to be wow. 21. This, he does not curse in front of us. Yeah, but I see yeah. some of those texts with his friends. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, um, I taught you well. Context. It's all about context. Yeah. Context. It's all about context. Yeah. I think it's part of culturally and background and, you know, where you're from. And also, yeah, I mean, upbringing yeah. has a huge thing to do with it. But there is something that about if you can use another word, great, especially when there are certain things and scenes or whatever. I'm like, I heard him say fuck three times already in that yeah. sexy scene. Can we come up I'm... with another word, please? But then they get very creative. With <laughs> yes, don't be unnecessary. Like, Just call it what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly before we go can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's Uh, coming up next for you yes except my mind's gone completely blank obviously what i'm currently working on (laughs) i've just finished a book called open heart which is another english with a spanish accent by a spanish journalist who wrote about her childhood and they translated it into English. And that was a really interesting read, actually. It was a really, if you're from mainland Spain, the family travels around Spain and having gone with my dad to all these places, I was like, oh, I've been there. I did that. I've, you know, I know exactly what she means. And so, you know, books sometimes are really lovely for that. That's called Open Heart by Elvira Lindo. And I'm currently working on, oh, a lesbian fiction, my pseudonym, uh, Jessica Jeffries. She has a much better life than I do. She has much more fun. And she's working on a lesbian fiction called The Politician by Emma Nichols, who is an author a friend who has recently moved to Corsica from England and is starting a whole new life, which I'm in awe of. But she always writes really good books, really good kind of just her characters have depth to them and her stories have like a moral backing them up. I always I always enjoy them. I did a book of hers called Madeline that's set in during World War II in France about how hard it was to be a lesbian during those times. 
And her books always have like a, a subplot to them and really good sex. So what's not to love? And yeah, and then I've, I've yeah. actually got two or three coming up on my pseudonym and then a great nonfiction in June that I'm really looking forward to about European law. So yeah, it's a lovely, I love the change of pace that I get with the books I get to narrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And also that you're open with your pseudonym. I know sometimes for various reasons, some authors oh, no, did I say it out loud? not. Um. <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Do you know what um, I love is yeah. that the reason I have a pseudonym is mostly to do with when I first started, mm -hmm. everybody said, you know, you won't be able to read children's books or Christian audio if you have, you know, other, you know, erotica in your lineup. Well, it turns out that I'm not hired to read mm -hmm. children's books or Christian audio. So actually, I'm not really sure that it mattered. But what I've enjoyed is that Jessica has a life of her own. She represents that mm -hmm. side of my narration that feels really separate and is a really, it's such a welcoming community. The lesbian author community is like a whole nother world of its own and hugely supportive, hugely exciting and interesting. And I just love it. I love being somebody else in that space and that she only does those things. So I, I love that. So the mm -hmm. pseudonym for me is, is less about kind of hiding stuff, worrying about stuff. Although when I started, my kids were teenagers and I was concerned that they might start listening to a book and come across a passage that I might not necessarily be happy for them to listen to. What I didn't realize was that they would have no interest whatsoever in my career and, and have never listened to a book I've read. So, <laughs> so that wasn't really an issue. But yeah, no, I, I love being able to kind of separate it all out and do everything. So it worked out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also sometimes it helps when the type of book that you're getting is almost without having to read the blurb. Like if you know if it's yes. a Jessica book, okay, yes. this is what's yeah. going to be like, this is what I'm getting. Yeah. Versus yeah. An, yeah it's, that's helpful. I mean, I'm always very like, there's been times where I've forgotten <laughs> your real name because I met oh, you wow, under yes. your pseudonym. I mean, yeah, well, to this day, like Monica Byrne is a dear friend of mine. She writes historical romance as well as paranormal stuff and contemporary. I mean, she writes a lot of different things. Great writer. But uh, Monica yeah. Burns is her pseudonym. That's what I call her yes, regardless yes. of you know, what we're doing. I'm like, hey, Monica. She's like, yeah. no, that's, I'm like, stop it. <laughs> that's what I meant. you like, that's what you're doing. Because I'm not going to do no, that. No, yes, absolutely. You. And there's a reason, so, you know, there's a reason yeah. whether, whether or not there's a reason that people choose a pseudonym. It's what their pseudonym is known as, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's who they are to that group of people. Yeah. So yeah, I go to, in London once a year, they have a lesbian fiction hangout that I go to and the independent authors come along and sell their books and people come along and, you know, I had, so I got a table with a couple of friends of mine that I know through that community. And we, you know, I had a stand with my, the books I was promoting and the authors were there at the conference as well. And people would come up and look at me and look at the list and look at me and go like, you're Jessica. And that feeling of kind of connecting with people and discovering that they mm -hmm. they got something from the work I did, A, thrills me. And B, I wasn't then going to go, actually, my name's Anna. So... <laughs> So it, yeah. it, you know, it really is of no consequence. You know, they loved the book. I loved narrating it. It's mm -hmm. all good. You know, it's it's great. Yeah, it's a little bit of freedom too. I think being able to kind of technically yeah, be a little yeah. someone different, yeah. right, for certain things and that ability. To it was go. really interesting too, writing um, her bio and setting up her social media access because yeah. that was the other thing. The important thing ultimately is that when somebody listens to a book that I've narrated, they need to be able to find me. And originally, she didn't have any social media yeah. presence, so she has a website and a Twitter page. Page, and on her website and Twitter page, it says also known as Anna Clements. But on my mm -hmm. social media stuff, I make no reference to her. So people can find me through yeah. her. And then when I, if I'm approached, I can be her. Yeah. So it kind of works for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But it's, yeah and her bio is Fun. so much more interesting yeah. than mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's always fascinating. And, and I always tell people at the end of the day, because there's just unfortunately some people out there that don't grasp the reason why behind they want to use it. No. It doesn't matter. They're be they're asking us to use that yes. name and that's it. Yes. And that is what we should do is, is yeah. be respectful human beings and the oh, but I want to read more of their stuff. They're, you know, regardless of the genre or whatever. I'm yeah. like, it doesn't matter. You know them as this person. This is who yeah. you that's it. Stop. Don't out them. Even if they themselves are open about it, that's on yeah. them, not on you to tell the story. So it's a fun <laughs> yes. conversation. It's not really oh, every so often we yeah. have to re-educate people and reshare that frolic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> article like because obviously how I'm telling you it ain't clicking so let someone else tell you the exact same thing I'm telling you in a more official capacity and then maybe you'll get it but whatever but yeah well thank you so much for being part of this year's audiobook loving series I appreciate you taking the time and I love it's getting to know you been better an absolute so pleasure Viviana I'm, I'm really pleased to have had the chance to spend time with you and I can't believe how similar we are even our parenting mm -hmm. skills so well done you yes. and me yes <laughs> thank you um, yeah no, it's been really lovely it really has thank you and everyone thank you for hanging out with us today we hope you've enjoyed this chat as well as the series I will be including all of her social media accounts and links so you guys don't have to search for them on the landing page for this this episode and for the series over at Viviana Enchantress the book and until next time happy listening visit today's episode post to listen to sound clips of some of the books we discussed and enter the month-long giveaway if you enjoyed the audiobook lovin podcast series and you want more join the audiobook lovin podcast patreon for early access to podcasts exclusive content like the would you rather game and dinner party guests and additional incentives such as bloopers graphics and much more support the podcast by becoming a patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobook lovin Thank you for joining Viviana and her guests for this podcast, and we hope you tune in again as we continue to celebrate Audiobook Month. The Audiobook Lovin' series is hosted by Viviana, the Enchantress of Books. Please make sure to visit the main page linked within the post to learn more about the entire Audiobook Lovin' series and the enchanting author and narrator guests who have joined us over the years. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review wherever you listened. And please follow us on social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana the Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you have enjoyed this program.